Well, um, you know, with, with all the, the, the political things, you know, going on in the sense of, you know, Nelson Mandela and thinking of, um, you know, the end of apartheid and uh, freedom and all of that, and what I've seen in, um, you know, in South Africa, uh, you know, and what has happened politically in our country and how it can actually be connected to the gospel, you know, um, I'm grateful that I'm part of all of that because it gives me a first-hand experience of a type and a shadow, you know, which is so close to reality, you know, that it, it really gives you a good take on what the gospel is. <clears throat> and not, not that I think, you know, I, must, I must word it the other way around, once you understand what the gospel is, you can really see it in what has happened in our country. Like, for instance, in a day a nation was born. Okay? One person, you know, now we say one person, Nelson Mandela, but all of us know the truth. It was not just one person. It was a lot of people working together. But represented in one person, in one day, a nation was born. Of which the oppressor and the oppressed became a new man. Free from their contribution. Okay. And we don't just have the knowledge like an American will have knowledge about this. We have first-hand experience of this, you know, which is wonderful, you know, because it just brings the reality of Christ that a new nation was born in one day, you know, to us. <clears throat> and what I've, <clears throat> what I've seen uh, in this week is, um, and that's why I want to talk about freedom today, and just define freedom. What is freedom? Because if you're going to uh, speak to different uh, political figures, and you're going to ask them to define freedom for you, you're going to find that maybe their definition of freedom and the de definition that Nelson Mandela would have had about freedom is not the same definition. You know, and that's why you'll find a lot of people still fighting for freedom in the middle of freedom. You know, you cannot fight for freedom anymore in South Africa. We've been given freedom. In the very same way, you know, that means if you are still fighting for it, it means you haven't discovered what you have. In the very same way with the gospel. If you are fighting for freedom, you have not discovered freedom. And maybe your definition of freedom is outside of the parameters that God defines freedom and what He's made available for us. And the best way to have the highest quality of life is to adapt to God's definition of freedom and so have freedom. And that is what we're going to look at. You know, in, in the book that I, <clears throat> that I wrote uh, which will now only be out next year because there's just so many things that we just a little bit changing here and there to make people understand it better because we don't want a complicated book. We want something that's easy and that people can understand. Um, you know, we've, I first started out by defining things, defining the word iniquity, defining the word sin, uh, defining, uh, uh, you know, what evil means. Because we have changed our definitions about these things over years, and we don't even understand God's language about these things. Uh, in the same way with freedom. So once we see what, how God defines these things, we know what He came to do for us. Now Jesus came to set us free. We find churches all over the world celebrating their freedom. But yet they cannot agree on most of the things in the Bible. But they're all celebrating freedom. So what is this freedom? You know, um, we're going to start to read from uh, 
Let me just uh, just use another political example, which will just make this make us understand this better. Um, you know, for me, if I look at political freedom, I mean, they, they can, you, you can make a, have a very broad def definition of it, but the way I see it is, I would like a country wherein I can live who I am, where I can use the creativity that I have, and from there, live who I am without restrictions, okay? All, obviously, in the line of what is morally good. Um, another person's definition can be, I want to do nothing and I want to have a lot of money and never pay any tax on it. And that he defines as freedom. You know, and then it can be a definition of freedom for somebody, you know. But that freedom is going to be at the expense of a lot of other people. So uh, w when we look at this freedom in the Bible, you know, the one person can say, well, you know, Jesus Christ came to set me free so that I don't have to feel guilty when I do something wrong. Okay, there's a certain amount of freedom in that. Another person, you know, like I said last Sunday, you know, I can be free to, um, you know, to, to uh, uh, you know, basically drive my vision and use people to drive my vision. I'm now free to do that in the name of Jesus, in the name of winning souls. So there's, there's so many definitions of freedom when it comes to the Bible, uh, to Christianity, that we have to have a look at how God has set us free and what God had in mind when it comes to freedom. Father, I want to thank you that as I preach this word that you just give me such an utterance today that I can preach it in a way that people will understand this. And thank you, Lord, that the freedom that we can walk in is the freedom that you have intended uh, for us, that we can have a revelation of that and experience that today. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. Thank you, Lord, for just your anointing and your ability that is upon me as I preach this. And I want to preach it in a way exactly as what you would have preached this, Jesus, yourself. Amen. I just want to change the one setting here because it switches off too quickly. Oh. Okay, <clears throat> I want to read from uh, Proverbs uh, 16 verse 5. It says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an, ab uh, is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join into hand, he shall, um, not be, he shall not go unpunished. But mercy and truth, by mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. And last Sunday we are talking about how iniquity is purged from our hearts. And we've defined iniquity as a wrong belief. Iniquity is a wrong belief. The, the, the opposite of <clears throat> iniquity would actually be the word innocence. You know, wherein you understand how free you are, um, how liberated you became in Christ and have a life born from that. And when iniquity enters our heart, which is pride, which is to believe that you are defined by what you possess and the good you can do, even if God gave you the power to do the good, when you define yourself by the good that God is even doing in your life, it is called iniquity. That is God's definition of iniquity. That is no, man's definition of iniquity is it's just sins. 
but God's definition of iniquity is, I would give you the ability to do supernatural things. I would even give you the ability to take a stone and make it a bread. But iniquity would be to take the stone and make it a bread and find your sonship in what you've done. That is iniquity. Uh, it is not, uh, it's not seen as a very ugly thing by, by us today. If we look at, uh, again, politics, iniquity, according to God, would be defined in saying, Nelson Mandela is going to go to heaven because of all the good he's done. That is iniquity in the heart of God. That is the foundation from where Satan lives. Uh, that is the very core from where all evil flows. Evil, we've defined last, uh, um, it also says here, by mercy, iniquity is purged from the heart. So if God can be merciful to you and you can accept His mercy, you will find that all the wrong things you believe will be taken out of your heart. And it says, men departs from evil by God being merciful to people. Okay, so uh, in our definition of evil, what is evil? The word evil, according to the, the Greek uh, de definition of it, means, um, ancient Greek says it this way, it says, to be full of labor and annoyance, to be hard-pressed by labors. Okay, that's the Greek definition of it. It is to be full of labor, full of annoyance, to be hard-pressed by labor, to try and work something so that you can have life out of that and have your life defined in it. That is evil. So... God's definition of evil would then be when a person has entered into iniquity, when he believes, I am what I do, then evil will be defined as the list of things he thinks he needs to do. That is evil. Evil. Now you can write a lot of evil things with very beautiful words. And uh, what we saw as evil was actually the fruit of evil, which is, uh, should you have iniquity in your heart, should you come to the place where that iniquity grows into this wonderful system of rules that you think you need to obey, once you get into that, the end of that, the manifestation of that is called sins and death. And I love what he said there. He says, the wages, in other words, that which is sworn by oath, based on a contract, you know, that's wages. So the wages of having iniquity and having what is evil, according to God's definition of it, the, 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 the oath sworn by being part of that covenant is death. Nothing good can come from it. Nothing uplifting can come from it. doesn't matter. You, you know, you can look at it and you can say with your mind, well, this looks really, it's beautiful for the eye. It's de desirable to make one wise. And you will sit in the very same place where Eve was when she looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it looked very attractive. It looked as if it can work. And it made good sense. Yet God said, the end of this is death. Okay, it cannot produce life. It cannot produce life. So if I look at my life and I look at what has happened in the last, say, two, three years in my life, especially last year, you really start to experience the fruit of um, eating of the tree of life. Where 
you are not defined and it's not and not, not, not just defined but where your emotions is not born anymore from any success you have in this life even if the success comes from God and even if you are according to worldly standards successful at what you do you find that the voice of it died the voice of so many people are reached died your life changes you find a fruit of peace and tranquility of mind comes to you born from God okay and I, I, I love that because and that could only happen and this is the point I want to make here when you are willing for God to be merciful to you now for those of you that went here last Sunday why does mercy purge the heart from iniquity Iniquity says the following, I am what I do, and I'll do these things, and by that I'm defined. So, should I do right, then it means I'll be blessed. Should I do wrong, it means I'll be cursed. Now what does mercy say? Mercy says, when you do wrong, I'll bless you. So what happens is you, you walk into, I mean your, your core, your very being, what is inside you, like a mathematician would make some wonderful calculation and he will come to the end of it and then the answer would be completely different than what he thought it would be and he would say this can't be and he will do it over again and over again it doesn't matter from which angle he comes the moment he writes the answer his hand writes something different than what his mind says then he says what is this and he will be uh, 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 confronted with some supernatural force that's taking his hand and writing something and he'll have to mathematically think of this where, the, where can this come from and that's the only way in which iniquity can be purged from your heart is when you know you don't qualify when you know according to your system of iniquity and your system of your evil system God comes and he blesses you he's good to you because now you see there's another law at work here he is good to you and by embracing and seeing this other law and allowing him to be good to you your belief changes from iniquity to life Hallelujah. amen glory to God it's makkelijk om te verstaan man amen this is complicated this is very simple what you know one person said to me Bert you know uh, one day what you explain is so complicated I said no no it has always been very easy but legalism has made has, has got our minds into a place like the apostle Paul said I can't but you law, use law examples to talk to you because we our minds got so twisted into everything must be complicated that we cannot find simplicity you know so uh, it's very very simple actually um, God came in the beginning this is how simple it is is I who you are who, what you see in me is what gives you life who I am is who you are because of me anything else will kill you now what's difficult about that when you read Romans 5 6 and 7 especially I, I think the whole book of Romans is written and for those of you pastors watching via the internet when when Paul wrote the book to the Romans the letters of the Romans it was written to explain to the people or to, to the Romans 
that the gospel came for Jew and Gentile. That's actually the foundation of the book. And then he comes in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and he explains to them that all people has got sin. Adam sinned, and through the sin of Adam, we found that all people, by welcome, Jelle, that all people fell into sin because of one man's sin, Adam. And as sin was passed unto all people, we found that all people died. So, death was a sign of sin. Okay? And then Jesus became sin. And because he became sin, he represented all sinners. Meaning, if you have sin, it's the sign that you qualify for righteousness. That is his argument. That's the argument in the, in the book of Romans. Wonderful argument, isn't it? So, let's see. I want to be merciful. So, who am I going to be merciful to? Okay, who of you are guilty here? Let me see. So, that means mercy is for you. You know, if you, if, if you take the AIDS, um, you know, that, that, that the pill they give for people that's got AIDS? I don't know what they call it now. Yes, that big word, yeah? then if, that, if you take that, who is that for? It's for the person who's got AIDS. That's it. So who is mercy for? The Jew or the Gentile? Well, no. What God came to do is for sinners. And that's the context here. Uh, and when it talks about all in the Bible here, and this is just for those people that really like to study, um, you know, dogma, the word all there doesn't just refer to individuals, but all nations. Okay. Romans 5.10, it says, For if we were sinners, sorry, if we, when we were sinners, were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, I want to explain that. Jesus Christ came, and I'm, I'm talking about freedom here, and we're going back to our pol political situation in South Africa, um, and those of you that are, are in America, and some of the people, you, you've had your freedom long ago, so some, some people has already passed away, you haven't had first-hand experience of this, um, we've, we've had first-hand experience of this freedom that came our way. And this is the beautiful thing about it, this is what it says, if while we were sinners... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now what does that mean? That means that while we were sinners, while nobody believed in Jesus, Jesus Christ came and He died for sinners, including everybody. He had a global or a universal reconciliation that took place. In the same way as what we came in the New South Africa, through one man, we all were reconciled. You know, and we were now introduced to this reconciliation. And this reconciliation took place while many people were even against it. It took place. Now, if there was a power great enough to reconcile us to God while we were sinners, how much more shall we, by His life, receive salvation? Now let me explain what he means there. The context there is to have immortality and never to die. And that will happen in the return of Jesus Christ. It includes the power to be set free from the fruit of the law. 
So here's the context. The context is Jesus Christ came to set us free. And it's important to understand this freedom. For in the gospel we believe unto salvation. It is, we're not saved automatically. We, are, we believe unto salvation. If you declare freedom as, well, Adam got me into sin, Jesus gets me into heaven, free from my contribution, the, your definition of freedom is outside of your design and outside of God's definition of freedom. God has set all people free to believe now and live by faith and not by works. Amen. That's true freedom. We've been set free from iniquity. We've been set free from all those things so that whosoever now make use of this can have the power of the, that truth manifesting freedom in your life. Let me explain it this way. If you, if you look at South Africa, there is a new South Africa. And like I said, and I like to say this when I travel abroad, and it's nice to say here as well, it is illegal for somebody to call me an oppressor we I became new in a day okay I have been set free but there can be people including myself that refuse to make use of the freedom wherein I stand and continue to live according to the old belief and find my definition and how I should be treated today based on what happened prior to the freedom no because over there my grandparents and their parents oppressed black people now I am going to have to carry that no 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 I refuse to be to find my birth prior to reality reality is in a day a nation was born in a day a nation was born our biggest challenge in the church is to declare and get people to believe in the already attained freedom not for them to attain freedom but to declare to them that they have been set free those who believe it will find the power of this new kingdom bring forth life in them like with me if somebody comes it doesn't matter who it is if he comes and says you are a white oppressor for instance or you are then i can take him to court and the new government shall sort him out protecting me we all became new for the government is there to enforce the new kingdom now the very same thing is in the in, in the kingdom of God we are part of a new kingdom as we can wake up and have knowledge about and as our as we we um, a lot of people like to use this word and I can understand as we awaken unto this truth that we have been set free from iniquity and we believe it and make use of it as the only truth in my life I will find that the law of the new kingdom the power of the new kingdom shall bring that forth in my life and so I am set free I am not free to live by the law I've been set free from living by law and I've been set free to live as people that find their life 
in God. In other words, God lives His life in me. That is my freedom. That is my freedom. And, and you know, when we look at a contract that we have when it comes to renting a house, or we have a contract in buying a car, or a contract in whatever, we stick to that contract. When anything is outside of that contract, we say, no. I don't agree with that. Like some of the new laws that's in South Africa now, the Nieuwe Verbrekerswet, you know, Consumer Act, that says you can, whatever you buy, you can take back in seven days and they must give you your money back. For no reason. You can just give it back. That's nice. That's very, didn't you know about that law? It's a wonderful law. It is like that. Seven days. So I can go and buy a camera from Macro and I can use it for a day or five and say this is not what I want I pack it in the box I go to them I say I don't want it anymore and then they have to give my money back now you can use that law it's a very nice law want die ou kan jou nie meer bol nie my man he can't take advantage of you anymore he can't sell something and lie about it you can buy it See if it is as he said, and then you can give it back and by law. Now, you can say, ach, well, I don't want to fight. Ach, you know, if you know that, and you bought something worth a hundred thousand rand, and all of a sudden now it breaks, you know, and uh, you're not going to say, oh, well, let's forget about that law. You're going to say, no, there's a new, this is a new country with freedom, and I'm making use of my freedom. And I'm going back to this company and I'm telling them, I don't want this anymore. But we will fix it. I don't care about the fixing. You can fix it and sell it to the next guy. But I don't want it anymore. It's within the first seven days, I want my money back. No, but we're not going to get you give your money back. Okay, I don't care what you do because we've got a whole government with an army that's going to cause you to give that money back. And should you not give it back, they'll sell some of your stuff and they'll give me my money back. It is enforced by the government. So in the very same way, we're part of a new kingdom now. Wherein, there is something called the life of God, which is enforced by God unto those who make use of this new right they have. Yes. I don't care how long you've been struggling with whatever sin there is in your life. When you come to the place and say, I have been set free from all forms of legalism where I define myself by this or that, where you maybe feel pride in your life or you feel you're better than others or whatever. I don't care what it is. The thing that irritates you, you can say, this is not for me. I have been set free by Jesus Christ from iniquity evil and all its fruit in my life and this body is only available for the manifestation of his resurrection power and then the kingdom of God's new law of life is enforced by the Holy Spirit in your life and you bear the, the fruit of it the benefit of it this is what is written in Romans Let's read, it, let's read on. It says, And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned of the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not so as it was by, uh, um, by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So, what is he saying here? Uh, I, I, you know, if I could write Paul a letter, I would have just helped him to explain it simply there. Because he wrote it very difficult. <clears throat> There's a very simple explanation for that. Simple explanation is this. Listen, one guy brought sin into the world. And this sin system, wherein we live under legalism and laws, has passed through everybody because of one. But now, one came. And just as sin has passed through everybody, you know, and every, everybody became sinners, God did not only come to forgive Adam. It's not like that. It's like this. Unto whosoever the sin has passed unto, grace is now towards that person. That is what he's saying. That's the simplicity of it. Now he goes on and he explains how, what this grace really is and what this freedom really is. Um, let me find the... For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, let me explain that and what true freedom is. True freedom is mentioned in chapter 6. We're going to get there. This is what he says. He says, People were dumped under iniquity, which was, I am what I do. Then they, they found death in their life. Then God came and gave a written law, Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments enforced sin. It made sin more powerful. Now there's a wonderful thing there. The power of sin supersedes willpower. The power of sin supersedes willpower. What that means is, if you take a person and you put him under the law, doesn't matter how much he doesn't want to do it, he shall do it. It's more, more powerful than willpower. Okay. Once you've yielded to it, it is, if you say, I don't want to do it, you shall do it. In some form, it's just a matter of time. That's all it is. Now he comes and he says, sin became very powerful into our lives through the law. But now it says that the grace of God is more powerful than that. What it means is, should you put somebody under iniquity, there's a certain power by which death shall manifest in him, which supersedes the willpower of man. Now he comes, he says, in the very same way, but a much greater power is towards life. So, as much as what you didn't want to live in sin when you're under the law, when you are under grace and you believe in the gospel and your expectation is from Him, as, as much and much more as what you couldn't stop sin, you cannot stop life. That's what he's trying to say there. 
When you put somebody under the law, you'll find he cannot resist sin. When you put somebody under grace, it is impossible with a much greater power for the person not to have life. He shall have life. He shall have peace. He shall have understanding. He shall have joy in his life. It cannot be stopped. That is what he says there. That is what grace is. And now he comes and he explains. He says that we've got access to this grace through faith. South Africa again. When we are in South Africa, and we live here, and we are in the new South Africa, we all stand in the new South Africa. But to the measure that you believe and understand the new South Africa is the measure by which you will have access to its power in your life. If you don't believe in the seven-day rule when you buy something, if you don't believe it, you'll have no access to it. What gives you access to what you already stand in is if you believe it or not. Simple. Many of you might have, you say, that's too good to be true. Well, think it and don't believe it. You know? But make sure that when you buy something, you just keep that slip. And if you see it's wrong, please remember what I told you. And then you don't have to, be, you don't have to explain anything. You just say, I want to give it back. What's wrong with it? Nothing. I just want to give it back. There's a new law protecting us. Amen. So if you can believe it, you have access to the power of it. And the power of it supersedes the power of an individual. It is the power of the government. It is a great power. It supersedes the power of any company. For it is the power of all the people's vote. You cannot stop it. It is impossible. It, is, it has to be enforced. In the very same way, this is what it is. By faith, we've got access into the influential power of God into our lives. And we have been set free from the law and iniquity and evil and all of its effects in our lives. You know, when, when, um, when, my, when they like, wanted to hijack Cindy... And, uh, you know, she, they called us and told us what happened and whatever. I first became upset. And then I said, and this is what I said to Elaine, I was upset. And like after 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I said, you know, because I was thinking, can't we live in a safe place? That was what I was thinking. Yes, we can fix the car. Thank God she's alive. But why must we live in a place where you're always scared if you're going to die? So I said, and then I, as I was saying this, you know, the Holy Spirit just comes as faithful as what He is with His encouragement. And this is what He told me. He said to me, are you going to make your life available for that? For that is iniquity with all its evil and its death. I said, no. I make my life available for what He does. I am, I am part of a new kingdom wherein even if they've tried to hijack, even if they've tried to steal, even if there's crime, I can still have a life which supersedes that power born from the resurrection of Christ, enforced by the kingdom of heaven, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which supersedes all other death, all other iniquity, all other things. It supersedes it. I shall have a life raised from that. 
And you know, as my heart was open to that, I just find, you know, this morning, Clint uh, came up here, he says, do you want to have a look at the car? I didn't even think to look at the car. It wasn't in my mind. I was thinking of the service. This talks about a power that is greater than willpower. It talks about a life born from God. And that is true freedom, people. We are not free if we go to a church where we've got all the legalistic things that we need to do on how to get a breakthrough, how to get uh, God to bless us, and all those kind of things. That's not going to give you life. That was never God's intent for you. What God had in mind for you is to completely set you free from uh, a certain system. And therefore, we have new fruit. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin, listen to this, has reigned unto death, even so might grace through righteousness uh, reign through right righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Now, a wonderful thing that it says there, and we understand that verse in the next two verses, this is what it says. It says, listen, death, sin, death reigns through sin. Because of sin, you know, we find this power killing us. But now, because of what Christ has done, we've come to a place through this grace, let me read it again, it says here, so that even, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So grace comes and grace reigns in our life through righteousness. Now righteousness mentioned there doesn't just talk about the stand of righteousness, but also talk includes the manifestation of the fruits of righteousness. So the way grace reigns in me is, reigning talks about that enforcing power. Grace comes not my willpower, grace, the influence of God through what Christ has done, influences my belief unto the manifestation of my righteousness, which comes forth in forms like love, peace, joy, and all those kind of things, having its end in eternal life. That is what grace does. So grace gives me peace when I'm not supposed to have peace. Grace makes me love people that I could not normally love. Grace makes me forgive whom I never could forgive. Free from my effort, simply by allowing that system to rule over my life by me believing in it. Amen. Amen. If I look at my life, and this is what I, you know, Elena and I were talking, we said, we can only make our lives available for the freedom that is in Jesus Christ unto righteousness which will have its end in eternal life you know what I, what I see is this cycle we find we start off under legalism then we get into thank God I'm not under the law you know and glory to God even if I do something wrong God is greater than my heart he's not going to condemn me or anything like that and we start to understand that you know, to have a life where you love people is actually a very good life. A life where you don't bear a grudge is actually a very good life. And then you almost feel, oh, how will I ever attain to that? Because you are reminded of how impossible it was under the law. Where under grace it is 
absolutely possible because now we can understand how it comes forth it just comes forth by saying father my body is available my life is available for your resurrection power which you bring forth and I patiently wait for you to bring it forth in my life and he brings it forth glory to God I couldn't get the, the stress of not having money out of my life by willpower or confessing scriptures I tell you now confession of scriptures does not possess the power to set you free from fear you can confess and confess and confess you'll never be free what will set you free is when you get the revelation of what Christ has done where you start to believe and say and, and he purges iniquity where you are so stressed I'm not going to have I'm not going to have you quote your four verses but you know you've sinned you know you don't qualify and yet he provides for you again Oh God, I'm going to work wise with my money, you know. I'm not going to mess. Very wise thing, you know. At least it helps with the stress. For the English people, you want to work well with your money, then you, you work so well to go and buy a bottle of brandy. Okay, now you are, oh yes, at least this, but you know I don't have enough, but you've got, yeah, you must have this 400 rand whiskey here. It's just the way it is. And then you think, oh my goodness, I've, and guilt comes and whatever. And here God comes in His mercy and He provides for you again. And He's good to you again. And again. And again. And iniquity starts to get purged from your heart. And you realize, but definitely I'm not to God what I do. I am to Him something completely else show me Lord he starts to show you your heart changes and as you start to believe what God believes you find how he enforces his kingdom in your life and brings it forth Romans 6 makes it even more powerful he says as you were a slave to sin under the law you shall be a slave to righteousness under grace a slave now now, Paul writes in Romans as well there he says I speak in a fleshly manner because you will not understand what I'm trying to say so it's actually using a very bad term to express a very good thing you don't want to use the word slave and righteousness together you cannot actually use it but to bring some form of understanding you know it is actually good because this is what he says he says as you were enslaved when you were under the law to be a person that shall have sin in your life you now when you come to the revelation that you are not what you do you are not what you possess who he is is who you are you are co-seated in the Trinity he loves you he adores you he gives life to you as you enter into that you are as what you were bound to have sin you are bound to have joy you are bound to have uh, peace you are bound to have love for those you never thought you could ever love for he will love in you Amen. that is what true freedom really is he comes and he says it in chapter 6 verse 1 it says shall what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein and what that means is and we've always heard that verse well now that you are a Christian believe in Jesus you better stop your sin that is 100% not what's written there what's written there is this shall we 
now that we, Paul comes and he says to them, listen guys, I want to explain this to you. Do you think it's possible? You might ask the question, shall we continue in death now that we believe in grace? He says, no. It is impossible. How can you, it, then it says there, God forbid. Those of you that listen to my old CDs, this is what God forbid means. The word forbid means to cease to exist or resist. Shall we continue in these things? No, God forbids it. Under the law, you forbid sin. Under grace, God forbids sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. And sin is not seen as breaking of a law. Sin is not partaking of His quality of life. So, when we are under grace, God forbids that you shall not be a partaker of His quality of life. Wherein your innermost being is saturated with peace and acceptance. Where you find that when you look at somebody, doesn't matter what wrong he's done, if you just look at him long enough, you find that relentless tenderness that is in Jesus born in you, and you want to be good to the guy that's just been bad to you. For God forbids now. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is good news. If you didn't know. Listen to this. Know you not that, and this doesn't talk about water baptism, know you not that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. What does that mean? If you can realize that when we were baptized into Christ by Him becoming a human being, by His death, the human race was baptized into His death. Don't you know that you were baptized into His kind of a death? What death did He die? He died away human flesh, sinful flesh. He died all away and its power, it's completely dead. He died away the husband called the law. He died it all away and then was raised up in a body that is completely elevated, a human physical body, completely elevated above all these things that we are used to. And that is what we, that is the platform from where we live. That's the very next verse. He says, don't you know that you were baptized into his death and as you were baptized into his death, you shall also live by His life. Glory to God. So what will give me life? The power of His resurrection. How do I have access to that power? By simply believing what I'm sharing this morning. That's how you have access into that. Glory to God. You know, there comes a place, and, and, and maybe for some pastors watching, there comes a place in your life where truth supersedes everything. You just want truth. That's all you want. I'm not talking about right and wrong. You, I'm talking about truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. So truth can never be defined as right and wrong. The Bible also says that truth came by Jesus Christ. Now this might confuse a lot of people. If truth only came by Jesus Christ, it was not known to man before Jesus Christ came to the earth. 
That means nobody in the Old Testament ever lived in truth. And to them the law was given. That means the law is definitely not truth. For truth came by Jesus. And grace came by Jesus. Just want to know the truth. The truth is, the Bible says, and, and this is how I see truth. The Bible says, have a true heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. What is evil? Full of labor and annoyance. That means truth is to believe what God believes about Jesus, about you. That is truth. That's all you want to hear. It comes to the point, you know, like if I go to Zambia and I preach there, or if I go to America or travel to wherever, it doesn't matter what the effort is, if you can just find people believing this truth. If I, if I start a church and we get a church with a thousand people coming to church, but I find that they are not believing this truth, I feel I've wasted my time. It, to me, it means nothing. It's as good as what it doesn't exist. When we see this truth grab a hold of people's heart, you know that you've been baptized by Christ into a new life. You find that you are set free. Let's, let's read uh, the last verses and I'm going to end off. It says, um, For we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not be slaves to sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Do you see where belief comes in? Belief comes into the historical event where we do believe what has happened, but also a mind at rest that we shall live with Him. So my mind is at rest that His resurrection power will bring forth in me His quality of life. That's where my mind rests. That's belief. Let me read it again. If we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him. We died with Him. It means we shall live with Him. How shall we live with Him? By the power of His resurrection. He'll bring it forth in us. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives, He lives unto God. That unto God is not, does not, just, is not just the word unto, but also the word in. So he says, now that he died unto sin, now he lives unto God. He lives in God. The life Jesus possessed today is found in God. Not in his willpower. Not in him deciding to do the next good thing. But his life consists in God living in him. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. So likewise, reckon, the word reckon there is, 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 is a rekenkundige term. When you say, I make a calculation, and I come to the conclusion that I am dead unto those things, and I am alive unto Him, and I have His, the expectation that is formed in me, is that He shall live in me in certain areas of my life, and I will find His resurrection power enforcing the law of life of the kingdom in me, and I shall live 
by His life. To me, that's what I see as freedom. We've been set free from the identity crisis the whole world was dumped in unto experiencing His quality of life. Amen. And I cannot stand here and people watching via the web or whatever, maybe you are at the place where you are just so tired of legalism and tired of hearing about good fruit and all those kind of things. I've got respect for your, um, you know, for how tired you are. But we cannot talk the truth away for the truth is that God shall manifest His quality of life in you and by faith we've got access into that and that is the best way to live. Somebody last night we went and uh, <clears throat> ate at somebody's house and, and they showed me a video clip. You guys can go and watch it. It's, uh, just type in WestJet Christmas Gifts. Uh, it's an uh, airline company of Canada and what they decided to do is they put this computer there it looks like a computer, but it's just got a little screen, a camera and a screen, and then they, with a, like a, a Santa Claus. And then they would ask the people, okay, what do you want for Christmas? And they asked everybody on two flights what they would want. And the one guy said this, the other guy said that, and whatever, and it's a two-hour flight. And then when they all passed, got in the plane, they phoned the other place with all the requests for the people, and they bought all these people gifts. So when they were waiting you know, at the carousel for the luggage to come out, here comes just gifts with their names on. And everything that they just said. The one guy said, I want new underwear and socks. And that's what he got. <laughs> it's not the brightest moment, you know. <clears throat> other one said, I want, I want a new camera. The other one said, I want a big TV. He, they didn't know. They thought it was just this computer thing and, you know, with like a computer voice. Meantime, there's somebody else, you know, in another room and everything's connected, talking back and what? They just thought this new technology. And you see the, the tears on people's faces. And as I watched that, this is what came to my heart, you know. The highest form of life is experienced in believing this truth, wherein this truth brings forth generosity, wherein you love others. It's the highest form of life. Yes, there's a place wherein we receive. And that place is always. You will always be at a place wherein you receive His life. You're the recipient of His life. Always. But the highest quality of life I saw there was not to receive a Christmas gift. It was put up on the web six days ago. It's got 23 million views. Because humans are drawn to that. And I can tell you, they are not drawn to, well, you know, let me fly WestJet for I can get a gift. What draws them is the beauty of being in a place to be good to others. That's what draws them. That's what makes you watch. When I watched that, I thought, the first thing in my mind was, man, why didn't I think of that, to do that good thing to people? That's what came up in my heart. I wanted to do that good thing. To see the joy on people's faces when they can receive something that they really needed. Helping them, being good to them. And to me that is the manifestation of the fruit of freedom. We are free to be good. We are free to love. Because we, when we were under the law, we were not free to be generous. So we were bound by stinginess. When we are 
we are, when we were under the law, we were not free to forgive because we were bound by legalism and you must pay for what you've done. And even when the, the natural life that's in a human, which is to forgive, wanted to come up, there was something pushing it down and saying, bringing, yes, but he did this, yes, but he did this, yes, but he did this, and you cannot forgive him. But now we have been set free. And the wonderful thing is, that this freedom is contained in the power of His resurrection. And you can never talk this freedom away. I don't care if you raise an avia beer flag by your eyes, hmm? or an old South African flag at your house. It shall never take away freedom. For it is available. It can never even take away your freedom that you stand in. The only thing is you are just not believing it. But you stand in it. You can raise that flag, but you're not changing the constitution. People can preach the law all over the world. It cannot change the constitution of heaven, which is God shall be good to people. People can say what about, uh, whatever they want about the wrath of God, but God knows the only way to change somebody's belief is to act contrary to his belief towards him and be good to him so that his belief can change and the biggest act of life that could ever be contradicting everything we ever believed we believe that we if you don't if you don't have you are a nothing and God came and he declared that this nothing is equal to God by incarnating God into this nothing putting that nothing giving it a seat in the Trinity contradicting our belief let it purge your heart from iniquity and let's stop the self-torture that comes by believing the lie even the voice of the fruit of the flesh loses its power in the presence of this truth glory to God well, sometimes I preach just to enjoy it myself. So I hope you guys could bear with me. I feel very happy. I feel loved. I feel appreciated. I feel, you know, when we hear this truth, you come to a place where you experience what God experiences, which is reality, which means you are untouchable by the world. You live a higher life. You live a life wherein who He is, is your life. Glory to God. Glory to God.